0: Good afternoon everyone. You may be wondering why I'm here with a laptop. Whoever preaches with a laptop? The reason is that I had a moment of panic this afternoon at 3.30 before I came here. I opened up my backpack and my uh, iPad wasn't there. So I thought I have no notes, nothing to preach from. Then I thought, ah, I can preach from my uh, laptop. So apologies for that, but uh, we'll make the best of it. Um, let's come before God and pray before we start. Father God, uh, thank you for your word in Deuteronomy 4. Uh, We pray that you will give us ears to hear what you have to say to us um, about listening to your word, remembering what you have done and turning away from idols and not making you into an image that we want to shape you into. We pray, Father, that your spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> when Julie and I first went to Taiwan uh, to be missionaries, one of the first things that we did was go to a local temple. Uh, we did that because we wanted to find out how the locals worshipped. Um, a lot of them were, the majority of the population were Buddhist or Taoists, and typically people went to the temple to worship. We found a very enthusiastic man who wanted to give us a tour uh, of the uh, temple. He was very proud and excited to show us a new idol that they were they were building and we should have a picture of it there it is uh, so that's that's what they were building. they were still as you can see they were still putting the finishing touches to it and he went into a great deal of detail to explain to us how It was made firstly with several layers of plaster and then over the top a layer of metal and then over the top of that, that gold colour is is actual gold, uh, gold um, something or other. Um, It was very expensive. Uh, Months of building went into it and it, it cost thousands of dollars that were paid for by donation uh, from the worship is in the in the community. but what really impacted Julie and I was the fact that of how futile it was. the fact that people built this idol and then the same the same hands that built it would turn around and bow down to it and worship it. A God designed by humans, shaped and crafted by people. And then they turned around and bowed down to this lump of metal and plaster. It may seem ridiculous for us, but for many of us, we might even have family uh, or relatives or at least people we know who worship idols. Coming from Chinese or Vietnamese culture, it's not uncommon for people that we know to do that and for the Israelites in Deuteronomy it was a very real temptation because their God, the Lord who took them out of Egypt is dangerous and demanding a consuming fire who demands their total allegiance but an idol on the other hand is safe an idol can be controlled and manipulated it can be put in its place so there was a very real temptation for the Israelites and there's a re- very real temptation for us to worship a God that we can control. We saw last week, um, Pete took us through Deuteronomy 1-3, to in those chapters we saw that God's people had a pathetic track record of being able to live up to those demands and be faithful to the Lord. They failed miserably. And as we come to Deuteronomy 4, we find ourselves asking the question, how on earth are these people going to get it right? How can they live with a holy God who demands so much of them? And it's a question which isn't just a piece of ancient history because we are no different to the Israelites. We are also just as prone to making God in our own image and worshipping a God of our convenience rather than a living God who demands our whole life. Well, we saw in the first three chapters of Deuteronomy the sad, depressing story of God bringing the Israelites to the verge of going into the land. But just as they were about to go in, they shipwrecked all of God's good plans for them. They refused to trust that God could overcome the people already living in the land. And so they shipwrecked their chances of going in. In the last section of chapter 3, Moses reminds the Israelites that because of you, God wouldn't let him into the land. Now, it wasn't actually these people who were standing before Moses who rebelled. It was their previous generation. It was their parents. But Moses is making a deliberate point. He's telling the people there standing there before him that day, you are just the same as your parents. You were rebellious, sinful, who left to your own devices would act in exactly the same way that your parents did. And that brings us to the question that chapter 4 answers, how can God's people ever succeed in going into the land and living with a holy God who demands so much of them? Their track record was dismal. How could they expect to get it right this time? And Moses' answer is that the way to live in the land with a holy God is to do three things. And there are three points today. You can follow along in the bulletin if you'd like. They're in there. Uh, or just listen. Moses' answer is to do three things. One, listen to the God who speaks. Two, to not forget, to rem- but to remember the God who chose you in the covenant. And because of that co- covenant, number three, don't turn away from the living God. And worship a God of your own making. Worship an idol. So chapter 4 moves from Moses' recent history, sorry history lesson of the failings of the Israelites to landing well and truly in the present. And he starts off in verses 1 to 8 by telling the people to avoid the mistakes of the past generation. They are to listen to the God who speaks. Look at verse 1 with me. Now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Notice that it's by following, listening and doing God's laws by obedience that two things will happen. One, they will find life. Having life is wrapped up with living with God as, as his people and enjoying his blessings, living as his children. And secondly, verse 1 says that, that when they follow God's laws, they'll inherit the land. Notice the end of verse 1 the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, will give you. Whenever we come across that term, the Lord, in the Old Testament, it's a it's a special word that refers specifically to the covenant relationship of God choosing his people, Israel, and his relationship with them as their God. It's the name God used when he spoke to Moses first with a burning bush when when Moses was first told by God to go into Egypt, uh, sorry, to go and rescue his people from Egypt. It's the name God then uses when he makes a covenant with Moses at Mount Sinai on their way out of as they, after they've come out of Egypt. And whenever God refers himself as the Lord, he's reminding his people that he is their God and they are his people. They are his special possession. Now why am I telling you all this? Here's the point. Moses here is making a very clear connection between the covenant, that, that agreement between God and his people at Mount Sinai to be their God and to live, with, and that he would live with them and God giving them the promised land. The land wasn't just a piece of real estate. It was a lasting reminder of God binding himself to these people and Israel's relationship with him. So in verse one, we're told that if the people will follow God's laws, that special possession of the land will become theirs. It will cement that relationship between God and his people. Israel were to follow the laws. The Lord spoke to them. And then jump down with me to verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to to their children. Horeb is another word for Mount Sinai. Notice what God told Moses. Assemble the people to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me. The Lord is a God of words. He speaks and his words are words of life. By following his words, his people will find life. They can live in his presence in the land. The living God speaks. And human beings can know him by hearing his voice and following that voice. The thing that separated Israel from the surrounding nations was that Israel worshipped a God who speaks. The nations worshipped idols of stone and wood who were, who were mute, who, who could not open their mouths. Moses tells the Israelites that if they followed the Lord's words, the wisdom of these words will be clear to everyone around them. Have a look with me at verses 6 to 7. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? As the nations saw how wise and understanding Israel was, It was meant to show the difference to the other nations and to point to their special relationship with the Lord, the true and living God. But for Israel to keep following the laws of the Lord, to keep being faithful, they also needed to do something else. They must not forget what God has done for them in the past, but they must remember that God chose them, which is the focus of the second section. Remember the God who chose you, verses 9 to 14. Have a look with me at verses 9 and 10. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord God at Horeb. Do not forget what you've seen. And what's the result to be? So that those things are in your heart. You cherish them. You hold them close to you. Teach your children and and to their children after them so that they will know the Lord. And then as we saw earlier, verse 10, remember the day you stood before the Lord at Horeb, Mount Sinai. Who does Moses stay, say stood before the Lord? You. But as we heard before, it wasn't you at all. It was the previous generation. But, but Moses here is making the point that the covenant wasn't just with their parents. It wasn't just with the previous generation. God was also choosing you to be his people. The Lord was choosing you to be their God and it was you who was going to inherit the land. So remember, don't forget... Remember that God chose you even though you didn't deserve it. Remember that he's giving you this land. Remember that he is your God. Remember his kindness to you. Remember to follow him all your days. He keeps hammering on in this message, remember, remember, because they were so bad at remembering. That was the point of the history lesson in chapters 1 and 3. No sooner did they get out, their parents get out of Egypt, and they escaped Pharaoh as he got drowned, he and his army got drowned in the Red Sea, they breathed a sigh of relief and then they forgot God. And Moses is telling the people, look, you are no different. Doesn't mean they literally forgot God. What Moses means is that the previous generation didn't take what God did to heart. They didn't trust him. And aren't we the same? Even though I know in my head that God loves me and Jesus died for me, at the first sniff of suffering, I'm inclined to question God. I'm inclined to say, does God really love me? If he loved me, surely he wouldn't have let my son get sick. Well, what's gone wrong? Is he angry with me? Is there some terrible sin in my life? that's causing this suffering to come upon me. Perhaps you've had an experience like that. It's so easy to lose focus, isn't it, on what we know to be true of God. Remember. Remember how God has shown his love to you. For us, not in the covenant at Mount Sinai, but so much more gloriously in the cross of Jesus. Jesus. He died for you while you were still his enemy. God showed his love for you by sending his only son to die for your sins and for mine. Remember, don't forget. Cling to that truth and hold on to it. So Moses tells the Israelites to listen to God, to follow his commands. Remember what he has done. Remember that he has set you apart out of all peoples on earth. He's made a covenant with you. And because of that, you are to be faithful to that covenant and you are to worship him and him alone as the Lord, not to worship a God of your own making, not to worship an idol. And that's our third point. Verses 15 to 31. Let's have a look from verse 15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. An idol, as it says there in verse 16, is an image of something God created. Either a human being, like in the case of the, the uh, idol at the temple, or an animal of some kind, or a fish. To do that is to turn things on its head. It's to worship the creation rather than the creator. It's what the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. If you remember the story of Moses being on the mountain for 40 days, the Israelites were down there waiting. They got sick of waiting and they decided to make their own God. They created a a, a golden calf and started worshipping that. It's also what the nations around Israel did. They worshipped images made of wood or stone or gold or bronze, But Israel was to be different to that. They were different because her God was different. Her God was the Lord, the living living God, maker of heaven and earth. He was not to be represented as a creature. Like Dagon, the Philistine God, half man, half fish. Or Baal, the Canaanite God, who was represented in the form of a bull. The gods of the nations were idols. It had to be carved and shaped and put in their place in the temple. But how is the Lord described? Look again at verse 15 with me. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. And then down in verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. The Lord is not like the gods of the nations. He can't be shaped into something that we want to make him into. He can't be made into an image. He is a fire that cannot be controlled. Recently in the news last couple of weeks, remember, there There were some awful bushfires in the States North, up in a little place called Rapville, around that area. And uh, you may have heard that there are more than 40 properties that were destroyed by that fire. When that fire was at its worst, it was out of control. The the fire crews did their best, but uh, when the elements were against them, there was nothing they could do to control that fire. They just had to wait for conditions to change. They faced a fire that could not be controlled. The Lord is a consuming fire. That cannot be controlled or contained. There are three characteristics about the Lord that this passage brings out. Three things that set him apart from the idols. Three reasons why they were to give the Lord their undivided loyalty. One, the Lord is a God who speaks. Two, the Lord is a God who relates. And three, the Lord is a God who demands. So, firstly, he is a God who speaks, he makes himself known through words we saw that earlier he showed himself to moses he made a covenant with the people he spoke to them the commandments and laws to live by all through words he is the living god who spoke out of the fire and the words he speaks are powerful words by his words he brought into being the stars he put the sun in place by his word he brought the plagues that were a judgment on the, on the gods of Egypt and a judgment on Pharaoh. By his word he parted the Red Sea and delivered the Israelites and judged the Egyptians. That's the God you are to worship, says Moses. But the idols, they cannot speak. They are mute. They cannot make themselves known. They have no power to communicate. They have no power to save. How foolish it would be to turn away from the living God and worship a piece of wood. But the Lord, he is a God who saves. And so because of that, he is also a God who relates. He created human beings so he could have relationship with us. With their creator, a creator to, their, to his creatures. And so that we can live in loving dependence on him. He is a God who loves, who chooses the people who aren't worthy of his love, but he loves them anyway. He makes a covenant with them and binds himself to them. He made the Israelites to be his own, he saved them and delivered them from slavery. He loves his people and he expects love and loyalty in return. Which is why Moses warns against idolatry. Because it's breaking faith with the Creator who loves them and made a covenant with them. It's treason. Be very careful to stay faithful to this God, says Moses, and not make idols. Because look again at verse 24 with me. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. An idol is powerless to act, impotent, but the Lord is as dangerous as a raging fire. Don't mess with him. The word translated jealous is perhaps better translated impassioned or passionate, meaning he loves intensely and expects loyalty and obedience from his people. And so, number three, He is a God who demands. Have a look at verse 25 with me. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, jump down to verse 27, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. Moses is predicting what in the future does in fact happen to Israel. In future generations they become unfaithful and the result is that they are driven from the land and taken to Babylon into exile. Only a fraction of them survive. And notice what will happen in verse 28. They will worship gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. God will hand them over to idolatry as a judgment on them because it's a pitiful state to be in. So it is a judgment away from relationship, from the living God. God cut off from him and his love and his blessing. The Lord is a demanding God, demanding loyalty and judging his people when they reject him. But then Moses finishes off on a note of hope. Look at verse 29. If from there, the place of exile, you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Because the Lord is a gracious God, he keeps his promises. He will not forget his covenant. But still the question is left hanging, will the people keep their side of the bargain or will Moses' warnings of exile be the final word? It leaves a dark cloud hanging over the prospects of this flaky people and they are left wondering and we are left wondering how can this people ever live in the land with such a holy God with this consuming fire who demands absolute loyalty? And we find ourselves asking the same question. Not, not for the Israelites, but for us. How can we live with a God who demands so much? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we recognise that we are just as prone to wandering from away from God and worshipping an idol, just as the Israelites were. Now at this point you might be thinking, wait a minute Marshall, I've never gone into a temple like that and and burned incense or bowed down to a false god like that. To which I will answer, no, I I, I, uh, suspect you haven't done that. But what we have done is manipulated God into our own image. When I'm confronted with a living God demanding relationship with him entirely on his terms how do I respond? Too often I respond by trying to manipulate God to my terms to water down those demands to make them more manageable and I strongly suspect that you do that too and that is idolatry. It's making God into an image that we can control the Lord the God of Deuteronomy we've seen is a consuming fire a God who refuses to be confined to a place or a form the idols that the nations worshipped on the other hand were a human creation that they were put in their place and moved according to human will don't we try to do that with God don't we try to put him in his place or compartmentalise him to say to him, Lord, come and tra- take control of my life but only, don't, but only up to this point. These areas of my life, my sexuality or, or my studies or my, my hobbies or my ambitions, don- don't come there. You can have the rest of my life but only come this far. Don't we all do that with God? Don't we subtly make God into an image that we create ourselves when we ask him to bless our ambitions for a successful career or a happy and healthy family and expect him to tag along with our plans? But when we read the difficult, demanding things God says to us like, take up your cross and follow me. We never really allow that voice to get inside our head and challenge our comfortable middle-class lifestyle. Now, I, I know these words might sound pretty strong, but I want to I make it clear that first and foremost, I'm preaching the marshal because I know how easily these things come to me. Trying to squeeze God Into whatever image is comfortable for me. Mould him into a God of convenience. But I suspect that I'm not alone. I suspect that you and I have the same problem. And so we might find ourselves asking the same question we asked about the Israelites How can we ever hope to live with a God who is so demanding? so holy who is a consuming fire the answer is found in the New Testament in the beginning of John's gospel John chapter 1 verse 14 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us remember that in Deuteronomy 4 The Lord is a God who speaks out of the fire. In John's gospel, we we hear that same voice. We hear the God who speaks, who is the word of God. But now he takes on human flesh. He becomes a man like us. But unlike us, Jesus listened to his father and obeyed him perfectly. Unlike us, he remembered his father and was loyal to him even to the point of dying on a cross. And unlike us, he refused to worship other gods or manipulate his own father into his own image even when that meant that he obeyed to the point of going to the cross and dying. Jesus succeeded Where the Israelites failed, he succeeded where we failed by perfectly obeying the Father. He is our champion. He is our perfect representative. And finally, he died to carry our failure on his own back. He died for your sin and mine. He died to fulfil God's promise to the Israelites in the covenant with Moses. Jesus was the perfect Israel where Israel failed, where we've failed. He died so that Israel could live with God and so that you and I could also be his people and to live with him. If the Israelites, for the Israelites it meant that they could live in the land if they obeyed their God, that they could dwell with him as their people but for us because of what Jesus has done he allows us to live with him not in the land not in a physical piece of real estate but somewhere so much better the new creation because of Jesus that's our future to live with him in a perfect world forever going to get the band to come up again and uh, let's let's think of that as we sing.